KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Dr. Mandy Cohen gets it. The last few years have been a lot, and that tends to happen when you have to deal with a global pandemic. I would say we are weary, meaning that folks are exhausted, that we put a lot into this. Over the summer, Cohen was sworn in as the new director of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If there's one thing she's learned from a career in public health, it's that the way the health system works in the United States could be a lot better. I don't think we have a system at all in this country. I think we have siloed, reactive systems. And so my mindset has always been, how do we get a system that works for everyone? On October 23rd, Cohen was in Philadelphia to promote the importance of getting vaccinated for COVID, flu, and RSV. And she stopped by the KYW News Radio studios for a frank discussion about the state of public health in America and why public health is so important. I think it is a national security issue. Just like we continue to fund the military, even if we're not in active wars, right, we need to fund public health even when we're not in an emergency. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we focus on public health, how it should be working for you with new director of the CDC, Dr. Mandy Cohen. So first of all, thanks for coming in. Welcome to Philadelphia. Well, thank you. Wonderful to be here in Philly. So as we are recording this on Monday the 23rd, uh, why are you in town? What's the what's the focus? So I'm here in Philadelphia to make sure that folks know how to protect themselves this fall and winter against three respiratory viruses. We know flu. We know COVID is here, but also RSV. And for the first time in history, we have vaccines against all three of those viruses. So we want folks to get the updated vaccines that they can. COVID, flu, and if you're over 60, RSV. What have you seen as far as people getting vaccinated across the board? Sure. Well, we see about a bit more than 12 million folks have rolled up their sleeves already to get the updated COVID vaccine. Again, this only came out a few weeks ago. So 12 million folks have already gotten that vaccine. The flu shot has been out since August, and we know folks are, are getting their flu shot as well. RSV is, uh, is newer, so we know folks are having more conversations with their doctor about that vaccine. And so so if you are older, over the age of 60, have that conversation with your doctor about the RSV vaccine as well. And I think one of the things people should know, people that are worried that it's going to be a lot, it's really yeah, not. It's pretty easy. So the way you would get the updated COVID vaccine is going to be a lot like you probably have gotten the flu shot in the past. Either you go to your doctor because they have the flu shot or you can go to a local pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid or others. They have online appointments. I'm actually here in Philadelphia. I'm going to be going directly to a Walgreens because not only can you use your insurance at, a, at one of these pharmacies, but the CDC also runs a program for free vaccines at places like CVS and Walgreens if you don't have insurance or if your insurance doesn't cover the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, you can get it for free. So pharmacies are a great resource. And we know that CVS and Walgreens are in tons of communities. I think they're within five miles of 85 percent of this country. So not perfect, but really good, good reach. So use your local pharmacies. Things like the CDC, we only hear about them when the world's on fire, when something is going wrong. Can you give some insight into what you guys do day to day, what's going on behind the scenes? Just kind of gives 
people insight that it's more than just people that come to a podium when everybody's sick? <laughs> sure. Well, I love that question because I think folks have gotten to know the CDC through COVID, but it is so much more work that is going on. You know, essentially what I want folks to to think about when they hear CDC is the, the team that is protecting their health. And oftentimes that is from infectious disease health threats, but it's also other types of threats as well, whether that's overdose and suicides or or smoking. We're protecting people's health um, at all turns. And, you know, public health, when it's working, it should be invisible to you. It means you're going about your life. You're not worrying about what's, what's happening. And we're, we're working hard every day to do that. Let me give you an example. This summer in Florida, we saw for the first time in 20 years domestic cases of malaria. So we haven't had that in 20 years. We saw cases of malaria in Florida. But the good news is you didn't hear anything about closing this or that in Florida, right? Disney World still open in Florida. And that's because public health, the CDC, in coordination with our local state and health departments in Florida, jumped right on that. And they made sure that we were diagnosing people, that we were trapping mosquitoes and malaria is spread by mosquitoes and understanding how it was spread. And now I can safely say in Florida we are out of that window. We were able to make sure there was no outbreak of malaria in Florida beyond those initial cases that we saw. And that is public health working for you, right? And so that is what we're doing every day. And we're doing it here in the United States, but we're also doing it around the world. We want to prevent these viruses and bugs from getting to the United States in the first place. Actually, we do a lot of work in malaria around the globe to keep malaria low in other countries so it doesn't come here to the United States because malaria can, can be a killer. For 20 years, we didn't see it here in the United States. We saw it for the first time. It's gone again. So that's public health working. And some, you know, if you're going about your life in Florida and right, that's public health working. If it's working, it's invisible. And to me, that is the crux of, quote unquote, when I say the problem with public health. I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a negative sense yeah. for you guys. But if it's working, nobody knows who right, you and are and they assume mm-hmm. that this is just how it is supposed to work like right. you know what do we need this for nobody gets polio exactly that's the point <laughs> that's well, the point we it, don't have polio and measles because we've been vaccinating folks and have had these safe vaccines and we talk to folks about it and right and so we are are protected and if we we walk away from those protections and if we don't fund the CDC and we don't fund local public health and we don't work as a team to continue to protect health, then we will take step backwards. And frankly, we're already seeing some of that step backwards. We, as one of the richest and most powerful countries in the world, our life expectancy, meaning how long someone lives in this country, is actually going down. That shouldn't happen in a country like ours. So over the last number of years, we've seen life expectancy go down while we're seeing our competitive countries, right, countries similar to us, that is not happening. So we are actually getting less healthy, less protected. So it is a moment that we need to make sure we're funding public health, right, the CDC and 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 others. And, and again, CDC and local public health cannot do it alone. This is a partnership. I'm here to talk to our pharmacies, for example, but we also work with our our doctors and nurses and pediatricians. But also, this is a really important partnership with all of us, right? Every one of us takes steps to protect ourselves, right? By the fact that you're rolling up your sleeves to get a vaccine, that's you 
protecting yourself and and others around you. So again, protecting each other and keeping each other healthy is a team sport. Certainly CDC is the quarterback of that. And, you know, we're working hard. And, and when we're doing our job well, you can sleep well at night. You talk about funding and all that. How big is that of your day is making sure that that you're getting the money you need even when you're not in the headlines? Because that just... Every time yeah. I have a conversation with somebody with public health, that is kind of the heart of this, yeah. that the budgets are cut for 10 years because everybody thinks they can do without it. And then, then an a, emergency a disaster happens and everybody wants <laughs> yeah. to complain that things weren't taken care of. Exactly the the right cycle. So we do need to make sure we are funding public health to protect this health, right? I think it is a national security issue. Just like we continue to fund the military, even if we're not in active wars, right? We need to fund public health even when we're not in an emergency so that if an emergency emerges, that we have the infrastructure to be able to respond. Just like we wouldn't start building a tank when, when we declare war, we need to have those kinds of machinery available. Available, we have to do the same sort of infrastructure investment for public health. And to be honest, when I have those conversations on both sides of the aisle about the national security aspect, I, I hear a lot of agreement. But I would also say in addition to funding public health, we have to make sure that all parts of our health delivery system are thinking about protecting health at all times. We're in a, we are in a, in a different world in terms of how our health delivery system works even than 10, 15 years ago. And we need to make sure public health also models modernizes and the health delivery system modernizes to protect our health, right? Because sometimes we're going to the doctors and we're going to emergency rooms and we need everyone to be part of that team and have roles and responsibilities, again, to protect this health, just like the Department of Defense protects this country. I've seen two different sides when it comes to the public health workforce. There have been a lot of stories and, you know, people leaving because of all the angst over the vaccine and bad faith actors and stuff like that and, you know, getting threats and stuff like that. I get it. But then I've also talked to, like, deans of schools of public health, and they have said on the other end they are seeing scores of people. Yeah, we have a uh, lot of young That are coming into it. So where are we with regards to a workforce here? You know, like I said, the cavalry is coming, but a lot of people have said I did. I can't do this anymore. Well, look, the last number of years, we've been through a historic pandemic where folks worked 10 years of work in three years, right? And so folks are tired, and we have to recognize that, and I appreciate their work. But what it, I think, has done has also ignited an interest from some of our, our, our young folks to think about public health, right? They're, they're recognizing how important it is because it wasn't hidden in the background. It was brought to the front of the the, the headlines. And um, we're seeing a ton of folks interested and our schools of public health are full. So we want to make sure that we are trying to bring folks into CDC, local public health and, and other places. And so it's really great, but that does take some time. And as we know, there are workforce challenges throughout healthcare. So public health is not unique to that. We're seeing nurse, nursing shortages, doctor shortages. So we need more good folks to keep this country healthy and protected. It's, again, why we need to be well-resourced at, at the CDC so we can compete for talent. We need to make sure we're paying folks so that we get the talent we need that can be the scientists, those experts. We need data scientists, right, to be able to do the hard work of public health. But I, I feel hopeful and optimistic about the future, but we have to capitalize on this moment. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Mandy Cohen right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. 
We are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our in studio conversation with Dr. Mandy Cohen, director of the Centers for Disease Control. Why did you get into public health? Well, so I went to medical school because my mom is a nurse practitioner and worked in an emergency room. And often the emergency room is where you see the broken parts of healthcare, where the system isn't working, um, whether it's someone doesn't have insurance to go to a doctor and then they come in with they come in with a stroke as opposed to taking blood pressure medicine because they had insurance and, and a doctor. Or addiction shows up in the emergency room or poverty shows up in the emergency room. And for me, when I was a teenager thinking about going to medical school, they said I, there are plenty of doctors who were like, oh, don't do that. The system's broken. And when I heard that, I said, well, well maybe I should get into that and help try to fix the system. I wanted a system that could work for everyone. And we see that it doesn't. And frankly, I don't think we have a system at all in this country. I think we have siloed, reactive <laughs> systems that if you have a heart attack, we can save you from that heart attack. But are we truly preventing that heart attack? And so my mindset has always been, how do we get a system that works for everyone? How do we get upstream and prevent things? So I've worked on different sides of that that equation, whether it was delivering health care or on the administrative side and writing the rules. I think, you know, the the rules are really important. What you get what you pay for. And that that's a truism in, in healthcare as anywhere else. We we pay for reactive medicine. And if we want to get a different result, we need to pay for preventive things. Um, and that's what gravitates me to to public health is the prevention, the protection, the getting upstream of things. So that's what got me into this work. And I've had the opportunity to work at the federal level, the state level. I worked for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, again, writing the rules of what we pay for. Then I went to North Carolina. I was Secretary of Health and Human Services there for five years. So I got the opportunity to uh, be up close to a state and think about how we pull all those levers together. So I'm I'm very blessed to to have a career where I'm always getting to think about how do we make that system work for everyone and give us better health overall. How big an effect did the last three years have on the CDC overall when you talk about workforce, but also morale and just being at red alert yeah. at 12 on a scale of 1 to 10 for forever? Like what has the effect been? It, you know, it has been uh, hard to, you know— take have some missteps and and need to still march on and you have to learn from those mistakes and and do better and better i think the cdc has come incredibly far both in responding to the actual emergency but also modernizing itself at the same time i i joined the team about 4 months ago but the work was well underway already to make sure that CDC has just changed the way it operates in order to better respond to those health threats. So I see it already, but my job is to sort of take that to the next level. We've restructured how the internal team works, but we're really focused on good communication, make sure we're giving timely, accurate, simple information, common sense solutions that people can have to protect themselves, and that we are getting out good science that people can understand understand and helping people understand the scientific process, that we do learn new things, as we should in science, that we we know certain things and we need to be clear. This is what we know right now here in October of 2023, and we will learn new things in November of 2023, and we just need to communicate those as simply and clearly as possible. So I think there's a lot of good work going on there, but I think we need more investment in making sure we have the ability to see threats, right? So you can't respond to threats you don't see. 
And the way you see threats is a couple ways. One, you need to have the the data to see, hey, what's going on? Is there is there something over there that's a real threat? Are we seeing a bunch of people with fevers, un, unexplained fevers and, and illness, and then we have to go investigate? Or are we seeing a cluster of diagnoses that we, we can't explain? So we need that data to be able to see it. And then we need advanced diagnostics, meaning the ability to diagnose what's going on, right? So we need to be doing that, not just here in this country, again, going back to the global work around the country, so that we can make sure that we are identifying threats quickly. And then we, CDC, need to be deploying people who can respond, right? So that's what we need to be doing all all the time. And so there's work still to do to make sure we're building that capacity, that that we're getting the resources, right? All of what I just talked about takes dollars and investment, just again, just like we invest in our Department of Defense, and we um, we practice drills to make sure we're ready in case of any anything uh, happening on the security front. We have to do the same in public health to make sure we're ready. Vaccine hesitancy is a term we heard a ton during mm-hmm. COVID. How do you address that and get through to people that these things, you know, are safe and are going to help you and Kind of one of the things you referenced earlier, not just helping yourself, you're helping the people around you. Sure. Well, I think fundamentally that comes back to to trust. And we know that we've seen erosion of trust in in lots of institutions, government, science, media. So there's work to do to rebuild trust. But when we look at who is trusted in the vaccine space, um, it is often your personal doctor. And the number one reason that people don't get vaccinated is, is because their doctor didn't bring it up. And so we're actually working very closely with the medical community to make sure that they're having the best information. They're having these conversations with their patients and they're able to answer good questions because I think having that conversation with your doctor is really important. And so that they can uh, go through what is right for you and explain how vaccines can protect you. So that's one. Second, I'm trying to just help folks know what I would recommend for myself and my family, right? This This is personal as much as it is professional. So I wouldn't recommend something for the American people. I wouldn't recommend for my own family. So for for example, I got my COVID vaccine, but also I got my kids who are 9 and 11. I got them the updated COVID vaccine as well because I looked at that data and I said, I want my kids protected with this safe vaccine. And I want folks to hear that from me directly. Again, wouldn't recommend something I wouldn't recommend for my whole family. At the same time, we need to make sure we are prioritizing things for folks. They're tired. They're like, ugh, I'm, I'm kind of, haven't I had COVID already? And d- but we have to help them understand that, one, this virus has changed. So the, the COVID you might have had before or the vaccine you had before was for a different strain of COVID. And you want to be protected against the most updated strain of COVID. But the other is that our protection from what has happened to you in the past with COVID does decrease over time. Uh, it doesn't go away completely, which is good, which is why we are, you know, sort of quote unquote, back to to normal and living our lives. And we're going to have great Thanksgivings and Christmases. But it is why we want to protect ourselves with the most updated COVID vaccine. I would also say it's not just about vaccine. There are other ways we can protect ourselves. Testing and treatment are really important. So we have a treatment that could save your life, but you need to know you have COVID to take that treatment. So we're going to be talking about all those tools. This is also a media as it is a public health question. There would be a cycle every time a variant would come out of COVID. Mm. Everybody would do stories on it. We had variants come out every six weeks or so, and it got to the point where you're like, all right, so is this a big deal? Is this not a big deal? What's the tightrope you have to walk of letting people know that this is out there and you should be concerned about it 
and not to get alarmist mm-hmm. because that is an incredibly tight needle, I feel like, the thread. And a lot of it's out of your hands. How do you do that? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think this is where I think CDC is actually doing a, a, a better job. They're trying to both say we've seen something new. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. And here's our current assessment of what we think is the risk. And to be honest, a lot of the changes that we're seeing even in the last couple of weeks, we're still seeing this virus change not as concerning, right? So you're not hearing me in the first, you know, 20 minutes of the, the podcast saying, hey, I got a, I got a new thing. We are watching it. I want folks to know we are sequencing these viruses. We are watching the changes. We're doing partnership with academic folks to make sure we're understanding what these changes mean. But nothing yet that has changed what is the dominant circulating variant or the the, the current form of, of COVID. So the, the current updated vaccine still maps to what is circulating. But we are currently watching it. And I think CDC is getting better at, and I hope people are, are, are watching that, that we are communicating, this is what we've seen, this is what we know, and uh, this is what we don't know. Back in August, we saw a bigger change in the virus. Um, there was a new variant called 2.86. Again, who knows with all the, 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 the numbers and names, you sort of can't keep track. But we had a bigger change in the virus in the August timeframe. But what we have seen since that arrived is that there hasn't been much spread of it. Um, it's actually spread pretty slowly. Now, do we still need to watch it? Absolutely. But we think, again, that the updated vaccine that is out still maps to that change in the virus and people are protected, which is why I'm just sticking on the top line for folks to know because they, they have busy lives. Updated COVID vaccine is the best way to protect yourself. What keeps you up at night? Oh, well, the good news is, is there you I I stay up at night so everyone else can sleep well. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of there. Look, there are a lot of health threats in the world and not all of them are a 10 out of 10. Right. Hair on fire. There are a lot of threats that we are watching that are, you know, twos and threes. Right. That could get worse if could get worse if uh, the right conditions and we are constantly monitoring to see if those arise in the right conditions. So for for example, we are watching avian flu, which is bird bird flu, um, very closely. And could that jump from a bird to a human and make sure that we are are monitoring that all of the time and that if it, it jumped, that we, we can jump on it immediately, that we have the ability to, to protect ourselves. So there's all types of things, but there are many, many viruses out there, many countries across the world who have varying levels of ability to respond to their own health threats that we need to help them because if we don't help them respond to their health threats, that could become a threat to the United States. I think those the infectious disease threats, but honestly, the more insidious, the things that are killing us the most are heart disease, right? Uh, heart disease and stroke, things like high blood pressure, right? If every if we were able to work harder at keeping everyone's blood pressure controlled, we'd have less death year over year here in the United States. And I think it, we, we need to work closely on problems like that. But those are those are hard structural issues for us to get to. And I, the last one, what I would say is working on our mental health crisis, making sure that we are focused on decreasing suicides, decreasing overdoses. Um, that is a place where CDC has a very strong role to play in helping bring evidence, data, and best practices. So those are the kinds of things that I'm focused on. And to that point about mental health, because I don't think the average person might equate that with mm-hmm. the Centers for Disease Control, but we are 
you know, in a mental health crisis, when you kind of mix everything, a pandemic, Mm -hmm. political unrest and everything, what do you want the average person to know about their mental health and what CDC wants you to know and the importance of it. Right. So, again, if the CDC mission is to protect health and we see folks dying from mental health disease, right, that is squarely in the lane of, of for CDC to help folks protect their health and be safe. So, for example, right now we are working on a national suicide prevention strategy for the country. That is going to be out in March of 2024. We've been working on it for for a while because this is a hard and complex issue. That is not something CDC can solve alone, but we can help, again, bring the data and the best practices in community-based prevention, making sure that we're decreasing stigma, that folks are getting crisis services that they need, that they access something like 988. So if you're out there right now listening and you're having some struggles in mental health, you are not alone. You can always call 988. So those are the kinds of ways that we can help. Additionally, you know, CDC does a lot of work in the overdose space. We are unfortunately seeing a lot of overdoses from fentanyl. That is where CDC's data can help track and understand where is the fentanyl and work with our law enforcement partners to make sure that we are thinking about how we protect communities and keep fentanyl off the street. So there, there are a lot of ways in which CDC is protecting your health, certainly from infectious disease threats, but really from anything that could harm you. And we need to make sure we're investing in that ability to, to do that work. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to lead that team. I think we have gotten much better over the last 10 years talking about mental health mm. and getting it into circles that it maybe couldn't penetrate before. But I also think people of, that have the ability of a therapist or or somebody like that. There's only so many of them, mm-hmm. and you've got more people that want the services, can't get the access. How do we start to address that? Because the access question, I think, is kind of the silver bullet there, especially now as more people are more comfortable opening up. Yeah, really important question because access is really important. And I think that we're all recognizing um, that mental health is part of whole person health. So there's a couple of things. One is making sure that our primary care um, doctors are able and trained in mental health. And I will say I'm an internist. I'm a primary care doc myself. Not a ton of training on on mental health in my training. Tons on preventing diabetes and heart disease. But we need to do better in our own training to make sure that we are expanding those access points so that primary care doctors, pediatricians um, have more expertise in managing some of the mental health issues. Because to your point, we're just we don't have enough specialized folks to be able to have everyone see a therapist or everyone see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So we're, we're going to have to all work better at this, particularly in our nurse practitioners and others. So I think that's, that's, that's one. But second is how do we work from, from the time that folks are young on mental health resiliency? And I think this is where CDC's work with schools and our school-based work is really important because that resiliency can last through your, your adult life as well. And building those skills so that you can have strong mental health from the beginning, how do we prevent it, right? So one of the ways is certainly we can be reactive and treat it. The other way is how do we get upstream and prevent it? And I think CDC works on both. Given all we've talked about, and all that the system went through the last few years, if the next, whatever it is, COVID, comes down the pike, do you feel like overall we are in a better spot to handle it than we were March of 2020? So we've certainly learned a lot, but I would say we are weary 
meaning that folks are exhausted, that we put a lot into this. So if we were going to have that kind of large scale new thing come here, I think I think folks would be incredibly tired. And that makes me concerned. But I think we have the know-how. I think we have more diagnostics than we did before. I think we have more data infrastructure. We certainly have those lessons learned. But I, I think we do need some time to recover and not forget the lessons and make sure they get codified and embedded. And that's, again, where I go back to those resources that need to be there, even in peacetime, if you will, right, when we don't have an emergency. We have to do that investment right now so we can be ready. But we have the know-how We just need to have the will to commit. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.